0: My name is Stephen. I get to be one of the pastors around here. And I am so fired up uh, to be able to be with you all this morning. To just open up God's word. Uh, if there's one thing that a lot of my close friends know about me, it's that I absolutely love this kind of thing. Uh, Hannah, where was I? I have no idea. I went deep into a hard drive. That was Alaska, I think. It was either Alaska or Montana. And it looks more like Alaska than Montana. And I, that stuff just lights me up golly I love camping I love the great outdoors my wife and I love it so much we actually uh, moved into I don't know if that's the right word but we moved into a camper van a few years ago we we live in a home now so don't worry about us but we moved into a camper van and just went on a wild road trip Uh, that's Alaska on the left it's the Denali Highway on the right and that's our van in the middle we did a little canoe trip uh, through Alaska at one point we love the great outdoors so much that we just couldn't get enough. We wanted to move into it. And then we continued on. Here's another photo of Alaska. This is just an overwhelming amount of photos. But those are some moose. And that, uh, anyone recognize that peak in the middle? It's really small. No one got it. That is the Denali, uh, Denali Peak, which is, I don't know, 21,000, something like that. 21,000 feet up in the air. That is a tall, tall peak. Golly, there is some beauty That God has created. And I remember looking at all this stuff and realizing that I spent so much time, even as a younger kid, when I loved camping, loved being outdoors, that I was so marveled. I was so amazed at the great outdoors. And then one night I was actually looking at the stars, and I think it was actually at junior high camp with some kids. I looked up at the stars, and one of them actually pointed out, and I, as the youth leader, uh, astutely uh, listened well, but they they pointed out, like, man, there's a God behind that. And I started realizing even more clearly, Holy cow as magnificent, as glorious, as spectacular as this stuff is, there is a magnificent God behind it all. And I started thinking more on our trip. Here's Yellowstone. I started thinking more on our trip when Hannah and I were, were driving around in our van. This was pre Ellie, To clarify, we did not do it with a 10-month-old. Uh, that would have been <laughs> an adventure in itself. But I, I remember driving through and realizing, man, there is so much that has gone into preserving this nature, there's so much government stuff behind the scenes. I don't really understand the idea of red tape, but there's a lot of it, I'm sure, that goes into it. There's a lot of uh, manpower and and just people who are dedicated to this. I remember a few years ago, there was a government shutdown, and the national parks uh, suffered from it. And I started realizing just entropy, just going like like it's just insane when there's not someone protecting, when there aren't thousands of national park workers preserving this, committed to just keeping it beautiful. It goes crazy so fast. And there were people actually putting a significant amount of energy to keeping it so beautiful. So much so that uh, there was a guy who did a lot of great work for the national parks named Teddy Roosevelt. Sound familiar? He, uh, there was a guy before him, uh, uh, President Grant, who started the, uh, the, the Yellowstone Act to say, actually, we're going to make it a lot to preserve this. We want this to be beautiful. Has anyone ever seen this arch before? The Roosevelt Arch? It's on the north entrance of Yellowstone National Park, and you can't see it here, so I blew it up a little bit, for the benefit and enjoyment of the people. Roosevelt looked at all of the beauty, and again, I'm not sure if he understood the God behind it. I'm not sure if he understood the the glorious God who was in charge of all of that, who made all of it with this blink of an eye and the snap of a finger with, with his voice, who created all of it and is preserving all of it. I'm not sure that he had a full picture of that, but he looked at the parks and said, there is so much beauty here, it needs to be preserved. This is for the benefit and enjoyment of the people. And as we get into our text today, we're going to see an interesting connection with all the lengths that our government, with all the lengths that the people have gone, with all the lengths that probably many of you uh, have practiced leave no trace and just preserving this natural beauty, with with all of the work that's gone into that, there's something far more glorious than our national parks and our public lands and the great outdoors. Something far, far more majestic, far more beauty, and it is preserved in such an incredible way. We're gonna unpack it today. The idea that God is preserving his glory. God is committed to his glory. God is going to do great things to preserve his own glory so much more. And that glory is a glory that we get to celebrate. It's a glory that we get to benefit and enjoy. So we're going to dive into the text. It says this, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I've glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, similar to last night. <laughs> Ellie, uh, my daughter, my 10-month-old, does not love thunder. And she decided at 1.30 to tell us very clearly she doesn't love thunder. It says, then a voice came from heaven, I've glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this, Jesus said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for uh, the, the beautiful landscape that you've created. Thank you for all the incredible things you've done to display your glory. But God, even more so, thank you for the work that your son did to preserve your glory. God thank you for this, the, the commitment that you put in Jesus to, to glorify your name. God help us get a clear picture of your glory today. Help us get a clear picture of the value, the great, vast value that is trusting you and treasuring you. God give us a clear picture of your son today. Some to of the North family who is now in your immediate presence. God, I pray for just a, a small glimpse of that glory today. We pray this all for your glory and for our joy in the journey. Amen. So here's what we're unpacking today. It is a beautiful paradox that is the cross. God saves us with a beautiful paradox. The paradox is this. In order to be committed to his own glory, there was a great, great price that had to be paid. To display his glory, to show his commitment to his glory, God Had his son die. It's almost an oxymoron. If you think about the glory in death. Now again, heaven side, they are celebrating. The North family is celebrating right now. But even as we look at it from an earthly perspective and we look at this, we look at the idea of death as it it kind of feels like losing, especially a Messiah, right? The the king doesn't come to establish his kingdom by dying. It makes no sense. It's a paradox. So we are going to see that God saves us with a beautiful paradox the king is here to die here's our first point our faith is built upon god's relentless commitment to his own glory the entire essence of christianity is built on trusting and treasuring that this god is relentlessly committed to his own glory where is it in the text it says this now is my soul troubled what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. It's really helpful to put this in context of last week. Now, if you look at the last uh, week's passage, then this week's passage, then next week's passage, it's all just one long monologue. It's a three-part monologue Jesus is giving. Remember, the Greeks have come to Jesus, and the Greeks are coming and asking him a question. They say, they say we want to see Jesus, and the disciples uh, potentially bring them all the way, Then maybe the, 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 the telephone game goes down back to Jesus, and Jesus is now telling the people this monologue about how the seed has to die now is my soul troubled, and so we get a glimpse into the emotive uh, side of Jesus being troubled, or deeply, deeply sad, and deeply moved, deeply grieved at this. Uh, he knows what has to happen. He knows what's at stake here. Again, we look at the parks, and they've done some incredible things to preserve the parks. But in their very real sense, Jesus now is walking into something even more majestic, even more glorious, even more uh, spectacular and glorious, and it is so much more that he is gonna to have to put on the line. He knows the stakes, he knows what is coming. He comprehends the gravity. He knows very clearly the seed's gonna go in and it has to die in order to give life in order to bear much fruit that we get to directly immediately benefit from we get to benefit from the fruit that is the crucifixion and resurrection Jesus knows in order to display his glory as well as God ordained as clearly as possible he has to die he comprehends the gravity of this mission his mission is to glorify the father father glorify your name my soul is troubled But Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I'll glorify it again. We look at Father, glorify your name. And later on, hes you all know what he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a different perspective. It's a different perspective. He's going to say, God, I know what's at stake. I know the gravity of this mission. I know what I've come for. I know I came to my people and they rejected me. I know I came to my people and I j- tried to give them life. I know I came to the people to be the light and they're going to choose darkness over light. I know that I brought them new life and they're going to choose death over life. I know the gravity of this mission. I know what I'm here to do. I am here to die. And he's saying, I know they're going to miss it. God, glorify your name. Previously, previously we've seen God glorifying his name. I remember John chapter 7. This is not um, uh, comprehensive. This is just a few other ways where God talks about his own glory. But here in verse 19 or 18 of John 7, it says, The one who speaks his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him Is true, and in him there is no falsehood. It's Jesus again saying, no, I'm I'm reflecting, I'm deflecting glory back to the Father. You keep trying to, after healing and miracles, you keep trying to celebrate me and glorify me, and I'm just gonna continue to deflect glory back to the Father, back to the Father, back to the Father. And then last week we looked at Lazarus. But when Jesus heard it, that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So we see Jesus deflecting glory. We see him here with Lazarus accepting glory, saying this is actually how the Son of God is going to be glorified, and it's hinting towards this idea of death and coming back to life. And now right here again, the mission. Jesus is pointing it back to the Father at this point. When, it, when the rubber meets the road, when the hour is here, the hour is at hand. The hour had not come yet, but when the hour is at hand, the mission is to glorify the Father. Father, glorify your name. This isn't something new. Again, the Father has made a history of glorifying his name. We saw it in the text. I'm going to go back to it. We've seen it in the text. Then a voice came I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. How has he glorified it already? There is a long laundry list. You can go eternity past. You, know, you can go to the creation of the world. You can go to uh, choosing the 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 people of Israel. You can go to the uh, anything saving uh, uh, the, all of the fathers of the past, the 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 fathers of the faith. You can go down the hall of faith in Hebrews eleven and see all of the ways that God has shown His faithfulness to His people and He has preserved His name and glorified His name. But here, I think He's immediately talking about yes the incarnation, yes, all of this, but even, even in the immediate context, I think he's hinting us, bringing us back to Lazarus again. He did this to display the glory of the Father. He did this so that the Son would be glorified. It's all coming back to the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son. Yes, I have glorified my name already in Jesus. And I'm gonna do it again. Any ideas <laughs> what he could be doing? Whew. Father is constantly Glorifying his name. And that's not saying that God's sovereignty is not at play. That's not saying that God's sovereignty is not at work elsewhere in life, in history, in the Bible. It is on display everywhere. But I think immediately he's talking about this, this idea of Lazarus, again, hinting us back to last week. I've glorified it. and I'm going to do it again. So the crowd stands there and heard it and said that it had thundered. Again, last night, <laughs> I wasn't trying to understand the idea that the thunder was communicating to us. I wasn't trying to articulate and understand it. Some people actually had absolutely no idea. Does that sound consistent with the ministry of Jesus? He says something and people have no idea what he's talking about. Does that sound a little bit familiar? It's consistent. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. They did not understand. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And again, they don't point out what the angel's saying. We get that insight from John, the author who records it. But the crowd had no idea what he was saying. And I don't think the point is that the crowd understands it. I think the point is what Jesus says here. It's not for me. It's for you. What is it? I think it's an affirmation. It's affirming this. This is going to be something big. There were two other times I can think of that we've heard or seen or read the voice of God thundering from heaven. And it's at the, the baptism of Jesus and then again the transfiguration. Two key things that have happened in Scripture in the New Testament. And now we see a third one. Something special just happened. Father, glorify your name. I've glorified it, and I'm going to do it again. And we get this glimpse. The crowd does not understand, and the point is not that they understood. The point is that they didn't understand, and Jesus is now just yet again, they're not understanding, just like is consistent with the ministry of Jesus. And now Jesus is going to turn and shift focus to the people again and explain something very, very important. This voice has not come for your sake, or this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. He's committed to his own glory. It is a relentless commitment to his own glory. Is that 938? Uh, God, thank you for the people you put in our lives. Uh, if, you're not, if you're new around here, 938, we pray um, for people on our pray watch list. So God, thank you for people that we're connected to in our three relationships. Thank you for people that uh, we uh, get to love on and show your glory. Help us trust you more. Help us treasure you more. And, uh, and help us love others uh, uh, with your love. Pray this all for your glory and our joy. Here's our second point. God promotes his overwhelming glory through the death of Jesus. Huh. He is relentlessly committed to his own glory. So his son's going to die. Does that seem like a paradox to anyone else? Does that seem like a, 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 a lower hanging word for that? Is, oh yeah, oxymoron. Does that feel like an oxymoron? He's committed to his own glory, so he's going to... Interesting. Let's see how John unpacks it. God promotes his overwhelming glory through the death of Jesus in three primary ways. Payment for sin is made. Again, this voice is not for my sake, it's for your sake. Now he shifts to the audience. He has this private conversation with God the Father I'm going to glorify it, I have glorified it, and now he's going to publicly explain to people. This was a private conversation he had with God, allegedly, because people did not understand it. The idea was not that they understood the language, but the idea was that ministerially they understood something special just happened. An angel just talked to him. Wow, this dude, the, the nature is responding with thunder. Something special is happening. Now he's shifting his focus from a conversation with God the Father to now having a conversation with the people, unpacking what his glory looks like in three ways now. Point one: now is the judgment of this world. The judgment of this world, the dividing line has been drawn. Until the death of Jesus, there was, again, a whole New Testament, the whole gospel stories, people, Jesus is telling people essentially what's about to happen, and they have no idea what's going on. They miss it time and time again. They think it's thunder. <laughs> they, they, they think it's an angel speaking. They, they look at Jesus and they, they say, oh man, I, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. This guy's speaking like it may as well be a different language. I don't know what this guy's trying to communicate. And now Jesus is saying the dividing line has been drawn. It's here. Now is the time. The time for what? The time to draw the line. There's a line clearly drawn. Which side of the line? Which side of the line do we choose? Do we trust Jesus? Do we not trust Jesus and choose to trust ourselves in other things? Are we committed to also enjoying finding our greatest satisfaction in him and his glory? Or are we going to choose to glorify, to celebrate, to enjoy ultimately, to find our greatest satisfaction in something else? The line has been drawn, and there's a clear distinguishment now. There's a clear line. There's a payment for sin. Now is the judgment of this world. And historically, in that time, the belief was that uh, judgment was going to come at the second coming of Jesus. He was going to come on the clouds of fire, and there was going to be a horse. And uh, remember last week, he did not come on a horse at this point. The, 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 the belief was that he was going to come on a horse, and just, that—wow! wow, here is judgment, and we get to celebrate the, the powerful return of the king. But here, he came on a donkey, and he's going to draw that line. Not on a horse. Not coming in clouds of thunder, but he's going to come by dying. Now is the judgment of this world. Satan has no legal charge against us. First point, sin is, uh, payment for sin is made. Now Satan has no legal charge. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Does this mean Satan doesn't still uh, do his thing in our lives? Does that mean Satan is no longer able to be? Uh, he's not ultimately bound yet. But when we look at a courtroom case where Satan had power, Before Jesus was glorified, was exalted, he had power. I look at my own sin, I was guilty. I look at the sin that I walk around with, that I used to walk around with, that I still walk around with, and I was found guilty. I am found guilty, but now the judgment of this world has come and the ruler will be cast out. In a courtroom case, he has no charge against me. Golly, what kind of freedom does that give us? the things that used to bind us, the things that used to entrap us, we now have complete freedom. There's a guy named Thomas Chalmers. Anyone heard that name? Sounds very uh, astute, doesn't he? Thomas Chalmers, he's a a Scottish uh, preacher. He was going around kind of around the same time as the Great Awakening, but he has this idea, uh, a a book actually, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And then he talks about so often we just try and stop sinning. So often we try and just like stop doing bad things. But in it, he really unpacks this idea that we, uh, with freedom, we get to trust Jesus more. And the more we have this new affection towards Jesus, the expulsive power that that has, as we trust something bigger and better, as we enjoy something bigger and better, the lesser things that we've enjoyed just don't have room anymore. I look at uh, just all the random stuff that I, I have a million hobbies. Hannah will tell you <laughs> I have a laundry list of hobbies. And uh, I found a new affection in my daughter. I love spending my time with her. I love spending, I used to work with leather. I used to make things out of leather. I used to um, edit videos. I did, a, again, there's a laundry list of things that I used to love doing, but when we have that daughter, when we have Ellie, there's just something different where I don't want to do that stuff as much anymore. And in a very similar way, the freedom that we have and the glory of God, when we see the glory of Jesus, when we look more at that, we have freedom. The ruler of this world is cast out And we are no longer bound. And then finally Jesus draws us to himself. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now there's a curious word, they're all people. I think what he's trying to say, this is... You to uh, send me an email, send, uh, send Todd an email if you uh, if you disagree. But uh, I don't think he's saying, uh, this isn't universalism. This isn't saying I'm going to be lifted up and everyone on the planet is going to come to me because we even have a good example of Judas that uh, it didn't seem to work out for quite, quite as well as it could have. But when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I think what he's saying is I'm going to draw my sheep. Again, the immediate context. I'm going to draw my sheep. I'm going to draw my people. What I think he's actually saying here is all kinds of people. He's going to draw all kinds... Greeks. This was a faith for the Jews only, but now the Greeks, the whole world has freedom. The dividing line has been drawn for the whole world, not just the people of Israel. And we just saw last week, the Greeks are coming. And I think they're going to keep on coming. And I think they're going to keep on coming. And then we have the book of Acts, where yes, they keep on coming. And they keep on uh, just p- pursuing faith in Jesus. And it is open to all people. It is open to all kinds of people. It is open to the people who see that Jesus is better than anything else. That want to glory in his name. So what he's saying here, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw my sheep. I will draw all kinds of people to myself. My sheep look like all kinds of people. It is not some special bloodline. It is not some special uh, qualification. It's people who trust Jesus. It is now open. So there's a lot going on in this passage alone. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. Last week again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When I am lifted up, do you see the juxtaposition there? Falls into the earth. Last week, lifted up from the earth. It is two opposite ideas. The seed is going to go into the earth and die. The grain of wheat is going to die. And by dying, after it dies, it is going to bear much fruit. It's going to be lifted up. And this is the gospel in one word. Lifted up is one word in the original, but in two words here. In English, lifted up from the earth. As Jesus is lifted up. Where was he lifted up? Well, really in two ways. There's a dual meaning here. Because he's going to talk about this is the way he's going to die this was no ordinary death he's saying this to show the kind of death where he's lifted up yes I think he's talking about the cross where he's lifted six feet off the ground and thunk into the earth I think he is talking about that but I think even more on another level on a deeper level I think he's actually talking about the kind of death that glorifies the father that does those three things that draws the dividing line judgment is here Satan is cast out. Where Satan was thrown, now he is dethroned and Jesus is enthroned. The king is in his throne now. No longer does Satan have power. Now Jesus has the power. The king, the rightful king, has been seated at the throne. And we have a good, good king. We have a good, good king. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The kind that brings ultimate glory to the Father. Yes, the crucifixion. Logistically, literally, the crucifixion. But another very true sense, again, this is the gospel in one word. He's lifted up on a cross. And in doing so, he is lifted up and exalted. He is exalted as he dies. To be glorified, he died. The king had to die. The seed had to die. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This was no ordinary death people were crucified all the time. He chose to do those 3 things. The payment for sin is made, Satan has no legal charge against us. Jesus draws us into himself and he did it on a Roman cross. It took a great price. It was a beautiful paradox to show his glory. This was no ordinary death. This was no ordinary king. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? The crowd's looking at him. We've heard the law of Christ Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? What kind of Messiah dies on a cross? What kind of Messiah comes to win by losing? What are you talking about, Jesus, you crazy guy? What on earth are you trying to tell us here? You think you're the Son of Man? We know who the Son of Man is. That's a reference to Daniel 7. The king is coming in clouds, and golly, it is a powerful story. And he's looking forward to overthrowing the Roman Empire, and now he's saying, I'm coming to die. Who do you think you are? What kind of Messiah is this? What kind of king is this? We don't want that king. We don't want the king who dies. We want the king who comes in glory, the king who comes on a horse, the king who comes and establishes a beautiful throne. We want that kind of king, the powerful king, not the one who dies. I don't want your dying kind of king. I don't want the Messiah who is just going to lose I don't want that kind of messiah they're saying who is this son of man and Jesus so gently he tells them lights among you for a little while longer while you have the light sorry I forgot how to read for a second the lights among you for a little while walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going while you have the light Believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. I remember uh, my wife, uh, we have a 10-month-old, and so she was pregnant for nine months leading up to that. That's generally how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Pro tip, it takes nine months sometimes. Um, And so we spent all that time trying to figure out, like, what, what is our first time? How does this work? And so we read books. We watched YouTube videos. Less helpful, but books are great. YouTube videos are good too. And I'm looking at researching strollers. I'm doing all this research on cribs and all the car seats and all these things that you got to learn how to do. And I see some head nods. I know what you. It is an adventure, it is a whirlwind trying to figure this stuff out. And I finally got to the point where we were taking a, a class on just what to expect during, during the labor process itself. Once you have your go bag and you got to get to the hospital, what is, what is the process like? And I had all these ideas. And I was fully aware that I didn't actually know what I was doing. Um, but I, there was an element of me that thought I had an actual idea of what I was doing. And so I talked to a bunch of friends and heard their labor stories, their birth stories. And there were some, uh, out- I mean, that's, that's humor. There's a lot going on in birth stories that just, like, guys passing out. Guys locking their legs and they go down. Uh, I have a buddy who, uh, I'm, yeah, he, uh, he was trying to emulate pushing well for his wife and breathing. And uh, he almost had pushed something out of himself. Um, <laughs> and, and then proceeded to almost pass out as well. So you know, it adds insult to injury. But, but as, as I'm hearing all these stories, as I'm looking into this, as I'm researching what it looks like to actually go to the hospital and become a first-time parent, it blew my mind. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had the false expectation. I didn't. I, I was. I was like the Jews talking to Jesus, and he's telling me something very clearly. And I just no. I just don't understand. And then that moment hit, and I'm worried when that moment hits for these people that a lot of them missed it. But when that moment hit, I was just overwhelmed, and I just wept. I, 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 this was during COVID. I had a mask. I <laughs> they had, they had to wear a mask during, during labor. And, and uh, what the nurse actually says, like, do you need a new mask? Because I was, like, sobbing. And it was just, like, saturated. It was, like, like the snot kind of sobbing. And uh, I'm ashamed to admit it. But not, also no shame at the same time. But, but, man, nothing prepared me. I did not fully understand. I didn't even partially understand what I was getting myself into. And it has been an, jo- uh, an adventure. It's been a joyful ride. It has been so much fun. And we absolutely love her, even when she's up screaming at 1.30 in the morning because she hates lightning and thunder. But, and then you hold her, and it's just a different story. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't, I don't get it. You're about to. The light's among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light. That you may become sons of light. What does it look like to become a son of light? Celebrating the stuff that Jesus just talked about. How do we walk as sons of light? How do we become a son of light? How do we walk in the light, not in the darkness? We celebrate, we glorify that paradox that this king came to die, that the king displays his glory in the most incredible way, not in the way that we expect. Not exactly what we're expecting in a lot of ways, especially not here in this story. It's not what they expected. What kind of king dies? Are you serious, Jesus? He had this following. People were following. Some people were believing, truly believing. Some people were following, trying to figure it out. Some people were following because he was a cool magic guy. He was doing cool tricks, raising people from the dead. But at some point, the decision was going to come. At some point, the decision was going to come to where do you trust Jesus for who he is? Or was he just a guy who did cool tricks? Our powerful, righteous king has overcome the darkness and makes us children of light. Payment for sin is made. We celebrate this. It's what it looks like to walk in the light. The three things that Jesus unpacked are the three takeaways for today. Our payment for sin is made. Rescue's here, folks. By the king dying, he knew his mission. Was it easy? Now is my soul troubled. I would say probably not. <laughs> as, as, as we look at that, the, the kind of death, yes, the crucifixion on a Roman cross, but yes, the kind of death that brings us to the Father. Now is my soul troubled, this deep grief, but we celebrate what he's done. What does it look like to walk in light? We celebrate that payment for sin is made. Our rescue is here. Satan has no legal charge against us. Sound familiar? (laughs) We're found innocent. He comes at us with this laundry list. He goes to the judge with this laundry list of everything we've done. And we have a good king who has pulled Satan out of a place of power. He no longer rules. And we're called his own. He draws me in. He draws you in. He draws us. He draws the people you love The people were spending our time. We just prayed 938. He's still pulling people in. He's still drawing people in. As we look out, again, I look out at the world sometimes. I'm like, Jesus, are you still doing stuff? Like, golly, he's still working. We have these promises. God is relentlessly committed to his own glory. So much so that the king died. The story doesn't end there. I don't want to Spoiler alert. <laughs> the story doesn't end there. Something magic happens. And it's not magic, that's an inappropriate word to use for it. But, but something spectacular happens. And it is a beautiful thing. He then we celebrate that on Easter Sunday, but but, but really the, the, the glory of his death, the king had to die. It is a beautiful paradox. It is a beautiful paradox where God saves us, and it's for the benefit and enjoyment of his people. How do we walk in light? We celebrate our rescues here. And I'll be, this is a, I mean my sermon, period, that's the end of the sermon. But um, this last week, I have never been so distracted from literally thinking about God's glory as when I was preparing to preach a sermon on the glory of God. Like our life was just a, uh, it was wild this last week. We had uh, some water stuff going on at our house, and then I just had a bunch of other stuff, uh, both... Uh, I mean, it felt like I was doing 15-hour days of just, like, exhaustion. And I've never been so distracted. But each time I read this passage, it was just, golly, the expulsive power of a new affection. I can easily get distracted with the stuff here that's pulling for my attention, pulling for my affections. But each morning I got to just sit and think, oh, golly, we have a good God. Golly, we have a powerful king golly, he's worth it. And he is so relentlessly committed to his own glory that the seed died. He's so relentlessly committed to his own glory that he made a way to call us his own. And walking in light looks like enjoying it. It is a wild conundrum. It is a wild paradox. But in that paradox, he's chosen to display his glory in the most unlikely way. And we get to just enjoy it. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for being relentlessly, ruthlessly, passionately committed to your own glory. God, thank you for being so committed that you went to the greatest lengths. Far greater than any anyone has ever done to preserve nature or preserve any, anything else in this world that is beautiful and majestic. God, thank you for going to the greatest length ever. God, thank you that the seed died. Thank you that the seed that died bore much fruit. And thank you for the ways that you continue to reveal yourself to us and the way you continue to reveal your glory to us. God, help us trust you more. Help us be more satisfied in you and help us treasure you in, uh, in new ways and help us treasure uh, uh, your son and help us see your glory more clearly. Pray this all for your glory for our joy. Amen.